0: Welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws podcast with East Forest. I'm East Forest and I'm coming to you today with a conversation with Random Rab. Random Rab, Rab, Mr. Rab. He's someone that I've crossed paths with over the years, just kind of here and there, and uh, always enjoyed seeing his work, but I, I never really got a chance to sit down with the guy and, and, uh, ask them, well, just listen, and <laughs> ask questions. This is like the thing I love about this podcast is that I get to do that with uh, so many people and then just get to know them. And that's that's what I got to do with Rab. So I think you'll enjoy the conversation. We really got to get into music for those music heads out there, but um, just also the process of creation and what um, this whole world is like of DJs and consciousness music and and just his own process, creative process. So we'll get right into that. I'm about to hit the road to be on tour, so I don't know when you're listening to this, but uh, in a couple days, I'm going to be heading out to the East Coast and Chicago. I just want to let you know quickly, uh, I think there's seven or so dates. It'll be Pennsylvania on April 10th and over to New Jersey the day after, New York City on April 13th, Saturday, uh, Westport Mass, Mass, Massachusetts, uh, upstate New York, uh, sort of in the Catskills, and then heading all the way up to Ithaca on the 18th. And then I bounce out to Chicago. So that's the little run coming up. I'm particularly excited about the New York City day because that's with my my buddy Morning Alters, who you know from this podcast. But what's so exciting is that we did this once before uh, in Portland at the old church where he makes a live altar in the space so he's building it in response to the music and i'm playing the music in response to him and because this is an east forest ceremony event which he, w- what is even better is you guys will be joining in on a, a group ritual to use that altar and use the, the music and our own ceremony together to amplify that event to be a spring ritual and to plant some seeds in your consciousness and your unconscious and your heart and for the planet so uh, do check that one out, New York City at Hub 17. That's at uh, 17th Street and 5th Avenue right there in the middle of downtown Manhattan on April 13th. So that's all at eastforest.org slash tour. And after that, we'll get into a West Coast thing uh, on, on uh, in June. Yeah, uh, stuff stuff's being added all the time, so always check it out. Uh, I also want to wish a happy birthday to our dear friend Ramdas. He turned 88 years old uh, just a bit ago, and that's it. I just want to say happy birthday. He's such a. It's just here we are in the middle of this process of releasing the Ramdas project, and. It's been nothing short of magical. Uh, I am wrapping up the final featured artists and the final mixing, and we're getting prepared to share more of that with you with chapters three and four coming up this summer. So I hope you're you're enjoying chapter two, which came out recently, and uh, thank you for sharing what you feel about it with your friends and what comes up for you emotionally and and just how you're using it as a tool and just what you think of about it uh, on social media. Because I get to see that, but more importantly, it really helps spread the message um, about this work and these new teachings by Ram Dass. So thanks for sharing it. I appreciate it. You can always reach out here at info at eastforest.org if you'd like to uh, send me a message or if you have any questions. Sometimes I get to read those on the air. And thank you for giving the podcast a review. Give it five stars. Just scroll down there. It's really super easy, and you can hit write a review and just type in a few sentences. All that stuff makes a big difference in sort of the the uh, aggregators that post the podcasts, and just for other people who, when they find a podcast like this, whether they want to give it a shot and give it a listen. Because I think a lot of the people who are coming on this, like Random Rab today, you know, it helps you just get a glimpse into other people's lives, creative lives, other forms of thought. And we can pick up new ways of being about just living wisely and well. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, otherwise, I've just been home for, uh, it's been a couple, about a week since being in, in Texas. Thank you for everyone who came out to the gigs in Austin and Dallas. That was really fun. We, we had to get up every day at 6 a.m. I don't know how it worked out that way. It was like the first day for the flight. The next day, uh, to drive down to Austin and the next day for a flight again. So it was that was just didn't feel very rock and roll but <laughs> kind of felt tired after that. But one thing I, I've been wanted to share with you that I've been getting into since being back um, is my meditation game. And I use the word game somewhat unconsciously and consciously because it's kind of a game with with my mind in a sense, right? And what I'm excited about with it is that I'm not diving in in some full force way that feels overwhelming. It's more just saying, recognizing the value and the pleasure um, of sitting even for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it wants to be. And, and just recognizing that there's always going to be that resistance. It's really a lot like the creative process when I need to rehearse or write something or anything like that. There's always a lot of resistance I'm not really sure why. It just seems to have something to do with the nature of creativity typically. Uh, And it's something similar with meditation where, you know, it's hard to just do it. But once you do it, it's quite pleasurable beyond the fact that you usually feel better and it has these sort of building effects, excuse me, over time. And so it's just sort of encouraging you to experiment with your own meditation. And I've released, I think last week, there was a meditation for sleep, but I've got a few other free meditations in this podcast and they can be a great way of a doorway inside and a way to shake it up. Because, you know, I need to do things, I'd like to do stuff every day that is about nourishing the soul and just about just being here, just being here now. And it doesn't... I think what's important for me is recognizing that it doesn't always have to be the same thing. I don't have to meditate every day in the same way for the same amount of time at the same time. It's it's helpful to realize you can shake it up, you can be have fun with it, and be creative. Like I, it could be through today that might be through going on a walk. That's perhaps I don't listen to music, so I can just be present and be contemplative, or perhaps through it's a form of exercise, or it's through yoga class, or then I also have a little sitting meditation. So. There's a lot of different ways you can skin the cat as it as it were. That's a very strange phrase, but you know what I mean? Uh, be creative. Be creative with just carving out time to say, "Hey, I'm just going to I'm just going to be me for a second because being you is kind of what we're here to do." All righty, let's get into this conversation with Random Rab. Hope you enjoy it. all right thanks man so what were you saying (laughs) (laughs) i
1: was just saying Mm -hmm. that uh i'm a huge fan of your music and it's so cool that you reached out to me because i discovered you kind of you know randomly on spotify and i have you on a couple of my playlists and uh so it was cool when you reached out it took me a second to make the connection i was like oh yeah i have this music already i love it so super cool Well, we have
0: lots of mutual friends and Mm -hmm. we've crossed paths a bit in in the past and um Cause I was, when Charles Shaw was in Portland for a while, I mean, that was years ago, but he and I were hanging out a bit and, you know, I know Android and not as well as you, but I've stopped by his home a few times and connected Michael Robinson's friends with him and the whole Evolver world and musicians I know you've worked with that I know and so forth and so on. So,
1: Well, awesome. We're one family. It's about time we connected then.
0: There you go. Yeah. Where are you still in Ashland or where are you? Yeah, I'm pretty much in Ashland
1: uh, for the most part, and then I spend a fair amount of time in Boulder, Colorado, and then the rest of the time on the road, which is probably where I spend most of my time, honestly. And how so, much time are you on the road these days? I'm doing like two tours a year at the you know spring and fall, and then the summertime is like festival season, so it's it's kind of touch and go for the whole summer. So I'm on the I'd say I'm on the road at least half the time these days. um i don't really pay rent anywhere right now so i'm just i you know i'm kind of doing the whole van life thing and then i have a music studio here in ashland so it's 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 just all it always i'm pretty much i feel like i'm always on the road in a way
0: (laughs) oh shit so what kind of situation you got with your van
1: well i I, i'm actually working on it right now i just i've been living uh, i have a basically a brand new sprinter and i'm converting it right now
0: the tall one you can stand Uh up in
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I, I, I had had an older one that I had been using for uh, a 2003 model for years and years, but I finally decided to get a new one. So it's I'm so much happier. But now I'm in the whole, it's a whole world trying to do the whole uh, proper van conversion. And yeah. so I've been listening yeah. to van conversion podcasts. I've been watching YouTube videos
0: nonstop. And so I, I pretty, went down you know, that rabbit hole myself oh, a yeah? couple years ago, thinking about it. Yeah, I looked into all the like. Uh, installation ideas people had and, um, sailboat toilets and, yep. uh, my friend has a sailboat toilet in a tiny house he built and he says it's incredible. Like a he sailboat? Has, I'm going to write that down. Oh yeah. He's like, <laughs> sailboats are, they have some of the best stuff for tiny houses and probably vans too. And the toilet he had, this composting toilet was so high tech. He says it never smelled and he only had to mess with it like every couple months uh, and huh. whatever came out of it was like Martian dried up poop. It was <laughs> yeah. like it, it was just like I, d- I don't understand how that works, to be honest. But he he's been using it for years now in his tiny house.
1: Well, I will say the one thing I've learned about doing this whole conversion thing is that you get a very intimate understanding of what it means to be a human, and all of the little comforts and needs and uh, excretions, and uh, it's so and, and it's all crammed into a tiny space. And so trying to understand what it you know, how to put a human in a box and make it work has been really interesting because I'm learning a lot about myself and about what we are as animals and our little needs that we have.
0: <laughs> yeah. But. Are you going to go the sort of stealth route where people might not be too sure? Yeah. If like it's a RV <clears throat> it's type totally situation. Stealth.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what I learned with my last vehicle. I used to have my, uh random Rab logo decals on my old van and I would be at festivals or parked in front of shows and people would just come up and knock on my van all the time and hey Rab you know and (laughs) I love seeing people but there's a time and a place for it Um, so once I took my logos off (laughs) yeah and once I took my logos off and then it looks like a delivery vehicle I realized that's so much better and I can camp Anywhere you know on any street and any parking lot, and it just looks like I'm you know delivering chickens or something. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, that's that's something that I've really think is important because a lot of these sprinters are so decked out that uh, you know, especially as a musician, you're always you know I'll be in downtown New York or I'll be in Chicago or we're at some some major city in a potentially sketchy neighborhood or something Mm -hmm. and i don't want it to look like you know it's a big expensive camper van i want it to look like i'm there to work so uh and that way it's it's uh, pretty functional
0: yeah so do you tend to, to tour alone or do you have someone driving with you
1: Yeah, well, right now I'm touring with my girlfriend who's actually come on as uh, my tour manager and uh, her name is Michelle and also she helps me sell merch. And so we've been doing the last couple tours together, just the two of us, and she's actually picked up quite a bit of the tech and now is like my lighting tech as well. And so it's a multifaceted um, thing we have going on. And she also is a massage therapist and acupuncturist, so she keeps me in line. And uh, helps out with everything. It's pretty awesome. Uh, kind of for the first time, I feel like I'm I'm home on the road, you know, because I have my partner with me, and um, it doesn't feel like tour life is somehow completely separated from my hmm. quote unquote real life. Um, is, is she a chef? <laughs> she, <laughs> she is an awesome cook too. Yeah, so it's <laughs> a complete package. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, and what are you what are you doing about? Um, you're like creating music. Are you are you just doing it on mostly headphones or, or are, you, are you doing it with any kind of monitor setup? You drop into spaces just for critical mixing or...
1: Yeah, so I mean, it's it's a little tricky because my home studio that I have here in Ashland has all the toys, all the hookups. Everything is so dialed here that I feel the most creative here. And this is where I get the bulk of my work done. It's kind of hard on the road. I, I kind of... Dink around a little bit, and um, occasionally we'll get an Airbnb and set up my monitors and do that kind of thing. It's a little. I feel like when I'm actually like like show days and days off are quite often not the best time for me to create music. Sometimes I'll work on like yeah. sample packs and that kind of thing, or more kind of uh, technical little doodads uh, that I may use later in a in a larger composition, or sit around the campfire and play guitar, but. Um, for the most part, I've had a hard time really being super productive on the road. However, with my new van set up, I am building a small studio in there with monitors and power and um, some synths and stuff that are going to be permanently mounted in the van. And I'm hoping that will uh, give me the opportunity to be a little bit more creative on the road. Because one of the biggest problems often is just... Pulling out the laptop, getting the headphones, the sound card, everything all ready, and by the time that happens, maybe you have to go or have dinner or whatever, and so you don't often have the time or the convenience, uh, or it feels it can feel inconvenient. And I don't think that's very conducive to a creative space in my in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The road's interesting. Like I feel like everything goes out the window as far as normal routines, and you have to Mm -hmm. you really have to fight to have any just sort of new new routines of any kind in that space. Uh, I got a, a buddy who he, the same guy in the tiny house, Stephen Kamo, He's he a um, he, friend of mine who helped build the studio that we're using down in Southern Utah. Actually, wait a minute. You've been there. Do you remember the Boulder Mountain Guest Ranch? You played a gig there in like an underground sort of like root cellar with a um, couple years ago. You met Ron it, Johnson. It, oh, of
1: course. Yes. I love yeah, that spot.
0: That place. That's where I live down there oh
1: you live there at, on that property
0: well in that town in and, that town and now like out the south wall of that room you were in we built a music studio mm. and it's it's awesome um i know ron would love to have you back anytime so if you're cruising around and you wanted to um do some mixing or writing or whatever it's it's a wonderful place for that but that
1: is so cool that is one of the coolest properties i've ever seen and uh
0: well now it's even cooler yeah <laughs> there's a yeah, we have an API board and the barefoot monitors and a perf- you know, wonderfully treated room and um, some nice toys. So it's it's pretty great.
1: That's that. Uh, I'm I'm so there. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, but uh, Steve-O had a tiny house there when he his job was building, you know, project management of things like that, and he had these headphones that he was using just to do his basic writing. Really fancy o- open headphones. Mm-hmm. I think I think they're like fifteen hundred dollars headphones, and then. I have a pair of in-ears that I use uh, for performance, but I also use them in the studio too, and that's been pretty useful. I can get pretty close on those. Yeah, I
1: found that the open-back headphones are really nice uh, for... They reduce fatigue over the long term, and I th- I do think at some point I'd like to invest in something like that. like Because I, I, right now I just use like my Bose noise-canceling headphones, which are pretty nice because it cuts out the... Especially yeah. on the airplanes and stuff, it cuts out all the extraneous noise um and also i think it kind of closely approximates what you know a, a normal listener would hear uh, so it's it can be effective in that way but yeah i would someday invest in some really nice open backs would be great i do find yeah. though however that my what i do accomplish on the road uh is is writing lyrics and poetry and just different things like that i find that being in new spaces often inspires me conceptually rather than um, structurally, I guess. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the cool things about being on the road, I find, is just finding those places and times when you can sit down with a notebook and sketch out some ideas or uh, work on on, on, uh, content in that way.
0: So your new record, uh, it's got a lot more lyrics, right? And vocals?
1: Yeah, it does. And I also try to focus on um i guess song based songs <laughs> if that makes sense uh what does that more, mean to you Explain well to that me that to means like slightly shorter so within like the 4 to 5 minute range rather than some of my songs in the past which would 7 to 9 minutes sometimes um and also structurally more so, like more i guess more structured and less drifting psychedelic yep. Yep. um And and it wasn't necessarily something that I intended to do. It was just something that I realized that's what I was doing and decided to, when I was kind of getting to the end of the album, to really um, make that concrete. So I had a bunch of songs that were nine minutes long that were great, but I decided that they didn't fit on this particular album, which was going to be more based around lyrics and and song-based material.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And how's it going? Like, Have you started performing that live yet with all the lyrics and singing?
1: Yeah, and so nowadays with my live set I'm uh playing guitar uh and singing with pretty much every track whereas in the past the last last year when I went on tour I had all my little synths and drum machines and samplers and stuff and I found out on I realized on that tour that just only a, you know 5 to 10% of the people in the audience even knew what exactly I was doing that was maybe different <laughs> than just standing there with an iPod. So it, and it just, you know, even though I'm like, this is my favorite electron analog force synth knob right here. And they, and they look at me and they're like, whatever, dude, you're just they're standing like nice there bro. turning it up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Turn it up.
1: Yep. Uh, and it just, and it, you know, that gear is so fragile and it just, it, I felt separated from the audience because um, when you're looking down at a knob, it can kind of pull you away. So the guitar is an amazing instrument. And I think it's one of the reasons that it's become such an iconic instrument in live music for so long is because it's exposed and open and people can see it. And it has kind of a sexiness just in its shape already. And it's kind of, I, I don't want to say the word prop, but it gives you a thing to kind of put your energy into while simultaneously producing a sound that goes out into the audience. So Yeah, so I've been singing and playing guitar and uh, simultaneously mixing and controlling things. um, And I have a few synths and stuff. And yes, I would say that it's been awesome. The last tour was the first tour in a long time where I personally felt really connected to the audience, the entire set, rather than going into my head. And losing touch with, with that connection. It reminds me a lot of when I used to be in a rock band in high school and in college um, without the band. So this it's been exciting for me. I feel inspired again to play live in a way that I I didn't lose but had sort of become a little numb to. Um, and also there's something about being taking chances and being exposed and taking risks that keeps it interesting for me and I think for the audience as well. Because when you're constantly performing, either on an instrument or singing, you really have to be on point. And if you make a mistake, oh, yeah. everybody hears it. And especially it's, it's, when you're... It's
0: live, yeah. yeah. It's, it's a live yeah. thing.
1: Especially with all the yeah, effects, you, you know, the reverb delay. If I hit a wrong note, you hear it for like 30 <laughs> seconds, you know? And I have to go, ooh, 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 every bounce, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, you're hitting something really important about the guitar and the visual element. Like it's it's more theatrical. and mm-hmm. And those elements... Uh, the audience can connect the dots as far as like the music being made in front of them. You know, that is true with people who play violin and strings and mm-hmm. some, like Kishi Bashi or Zoe Keating or whoever you see it right there in front of you. And especially when they're looping, it's like you, you're, you kind of understand. And I know for myself with the keyboard and looping pedals and stuff and lots of like knobs I'm turning, I can't tell you how many times I've played a whole set totally live and someone comes up and they're like, bro, that was a sweet DJ set. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And part of me is like, I guess it doesn't matter, you know, to them because maybe they don't even know what that means. But I'm always, of course, thinking, yeah, how do I connect the dots? So I know why I'm doing it that way. It's not just an ethos. It's like, it's more flexible. And I feel like, well, I'm able to change things and respond Mm -hmm. in the moment and, and play music, which is... More challenging, but it's it's more satisfying, and uh, I think you're hitting on something there that is will actually help to show that people will be, enjoy it more because guitars, you can strap it on and walk around too.
1: Yeah, and like you said, it's like having all the the doing it live, like live PA, live electronic style, does give you the ability to create magic and do something different every time, and it's and it's 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 a very powerful form of art. Um, but there does, so there is something really interesting about when it's relatable, I've found because pretty much everybody's played a guitar or tried to play a guitar mm-hmm. or can play mm-hmm. guitar. So there's that accessibility. I think like people are like, oh, I, I, I get that. I see that. I understand. And with the voice as well. And so it just, I think it kind of makes you seem more like human rather than some yeah. space alien that's controlling this spaceship that kind of just doesn't make sense, even to people who make, you know, even me, who's someone who works with all this gear, I don't actually know what oftentimes electronic producers are actually
0: doing up there. I, I kind of, I'm like, I know the <laughs> well, there's no accountability I and mean, <laughs> yeah. you can't say for sure. If yeah. it's really what's happening, you can't know for sure.
1: Well, um, I, you know, I saw an artist and I'm not going to mention their name, but they were up there, you know, banging around on some electronic stuff. And then I could tell that something broke and they had just to... to stop and fix it but the show went on and there was no change in sound it just like everything just kept going and there was absolutely no difference so when and then they got the machine back online and started playing around with it again and i couldn't tell what was that i was like well what does that thing even do you know like if i can't tell it's there and you can't tell it's there what's what's there's a little mystery happening there i mean i don't
0: know if i ever ever, you know i'm not trying to discount it because obviously i do it i play a lot gear too but well, what kind of that, gigs are you are you doing? That you're slot is are you slotting this into situations where it is mostly straight DJ music, or are people expecting something from you? And this is you know, new, or has it all been smooth?
1: It's interesting. Well, I find that when it's my show and I'm the headliner and I'm playing a club, I have a lot more freedom to uh, communicate with the audience and go on a journey that is has ups and downs and. Uh, slow and fast and even fully acoustic and can come out in the audience at sometimes and really make it a, a journey that is uh, into my music and into the connection that I want to have with the audience. There are times, uh, however, when I'm flanked by two really heavy hitting DJs, you know, or, or producers that are basically playing bass music. And it's, it's sort of a, it, you know, that's the scene that we are a part of is that you, you know, I'll be up on stage trying to sustain a huge party that is just going off. And maybe it's like New Year's Eve or something. And I can't really, I have just, I need to limit the places I go. Otherwise you lose, everyone's just confused basically. So in those circumstances, um, sometimes I'll just, you know, uh, do a more straightforward DJ of my material, sometimes play the guitar, a little less vocals, a little less sing-songy, and just try and bang it out. I still enjoy that, and it's super fun, and so I don't feel like I'm selling myself short or selling out or whatever. But yes. it you have to, I think, as a producer, especially the longer you do it and the more different situations you're going to be put in, you have to be flexible. And it's not about... Telling people what to listen to. It's about being a part of it. It's about being, um, you know, joining the vibe and really celebrating what everyone everyone wants. And it's not just about me and what I want. It's about the vibe of the party and trying to, to make everyone have a great time and 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 help every facilitate an environment where people can. Just have the best time of their life. And so that sometimes means changing what you do and, and being able to accommodate that. And it happens a lot. And as a down-tempo producer, this is a situation uh, you get put in a lot. And I try and talk, oh, there's a lot of down producers that I've seen at some point in their career will actually change path because they feel this pressure to always be playing bangers. Because, and I totally understand, you get put in these weird slots where you're in between two huge DJs or something. And, um, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've paid my dues opening for bass nectar and stuff and realized what that means. You know, it's like, it's, it's Mm. not always easy. And you feel this kind of pressure to be like, no
0: play bangers, play bangers. Like, well, it's gotta be challenging, especially when you're playing your music and, uh, there's this lingering pressure, um, to give them what they want as opposed to like where you're at as an artist and what you want to present and what you want to do and what fulfills your heart. You know, there's that pitfall of pandering. Not that I'm saying you're doing that, but I know that there's sort of hanging in the air that it's like, you know, I'm hired to do this job. I'm in this particular slot. And there are standards that maybe people are looking for in the, in the the DJ world.
1: I totally agree. And that's, you know, I think about somebody like Sade. Like, would anyone tell Sade, hey, you gotta play a faster set tonight? It's just like it's not gonna happen. Because yeah. that people expect and appreciate and are there for her music. However, a lot of times people aren't there for your music. They're there for the party. And oftentimes the people who have the loudest voices are can be the most kind of high-energy, maybe slightly obnoxious people, they're going to be the ones up in your face, begging you to play a banger. <laughs> Whereas the people who are chill and actually maybe like your biggest fans are more in the back because they're overwhelmed by all the people up front, just screaming their heads off. So I, I think I always try to remember that and tell people that too. It's like a successful downtempo show people are not jumping around and screaming. They're actually like chilling. It's like they're in they're, their heart. They're, they're feeling the music rather than expressing it in a way that they would for a more bass-oriented show, which is oftentimes hands in the air and screaming. So you can't judge, uh, I guess, the success of your show or what you're doing or if you're on the right path just by simply looking at the audience and seeing, are they going off right now? Like They were going off for the last guy. Why aren't they jumping around for me? Um, just, yeah, stay true to what you do. And yes, I am guilty of pandering. Like you said, it, there's been points in my career where I have definitely pandered because I wanted something different than just the pure expression of my music. And, and, mm-hmm. and that, that feeling, it just doesn't last. It doesn't feel good after, in the long run.
0: Where's that line for you? I mean, you've been in the game for a bit. I mean, you've probably learned some personal lessons there that maybe other people could pick up on about, you know, doing it as a business, doing it as a career, and then also trying to create something. I mean, usually when you're, when you're trying to stay true to your own work, what's exciting for you, it, it's probably like artistically interesting to other people too. Um, but I, I hear that there's a balance with you get a lane, you get a career. And then what do you do when people sort of expect something from you?
1: It, it's it can be a tough balance, especially in the beginning of when you're trying to get your name out there. And it can be difficult at times and you will you but you can't make everyone happy. And you can try, but right. it's never gonna work. I think that creating your own sound and like you said, like Creating something that you would buy, creating something that you enjoy, creating music that you actually really want to listen to when no one else yeah. is around. And if you can do that and, and and not making it for kind of the general public and and just because you think other people will like it, if you could actually create something that you're like, you're kind of like, I want to listen to that song in my headphones right now and go take a walk. Like if you're creating that kind of music, other people will feel the same way. And you got to be prepared for, for your haters. And that's just, that's just part of being an artist. And, the and, and sometimes you have to have a thick skin in order to deal with, uh, the criticisms that come with, with that, because no matter what you do, you're going to have people, especially as you gain popularity, there's kind of a, it just kind of comes with the territory that there's, you're going to have the people that. Do not like your music, and um, it's
0: a sign of success. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> and like one of yeah. my favorite moments was when I was on um, I was on tour with Spangle, and there was, you know, it was one of those situations where most of the people there obviously just see Spangle, and I would say that for the most part things weren't great for me. And my friend brought a friend, and he he was like, ah, oh, he's like didn't like my set, and I was like, well, why didn't he like it? And he said, well, he said it makes him think too much.
0: And I was like, you know,
1: (laughs) if all the like criticisms, like that's actually makes sense to me. Like if that, you know, like I want people to think and if it was kind of like a a double-edged sword, I was like, that's in a way it's a criticism, but it helps
0: me understand that it's just like, it's not for everybody and that's okay. Do you do anything to insulate yourself from the, I'll just say the internet criticism or that social media, YouTube comments, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a really tough territory. Um, I've gotten better at handling criticism within myself. However, sometimes you'll read that one random comment. um, And I'd say I'm pretty lucky. Actually, I don't get a lot of haters, but occasionally I'll get some pretty passionate ones. I had one guy write. (laughs) on, um, one of my, like, I think it was like last FM or MySpace or something. It was a long time ago. And he wrote like a three page doctrine on why he hated my music. And it was so fascinating
0: (laughs) why they care so much. And it
1: was, it was so detailed and so specific and he just ripped me to shreds and like, I was just devastated. And then I, and like you said, I, I thought about it. I'm like, you know, if this guy cares so much about saying this, that he would write all this stuff, then I'm actually doing something that is powerful, whether it's good or bad, I don't know. But at least I know I'm affecting people. The worst thing is just no reaction at all, where it's just like, eh, yeah, if your
0: art isn't pissing somebody off, it's not very good art. Yeah, (laughs) Like mediocrity would be the kiss of death. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So let me ask you a question. What do you Uh, this is something I've think about, but I'm not fully in the world, so I never really know the answer to it. Uh, But what is your opinion or what are the differences between people who are producers and DJs who they perform all their own music versus none of their own music versus a combination? And I'm speaking about essentially DJ sets, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, and they all get kind of lumped together into the same thing. But to me, there's a dramatic difference in what is going on.
1: I I totally agree. And I think that there's an under appreciation for that divide because it can be pretty... So, the the art of DJing, like being a proper DJ is actually incredibly challenging and also super powerful because when you're a DJ and you're about to get on stage, you have access to every song ever written. And if Mm -hmm. you don't crush it, then you're missing something. Like, if you don't... If you can't make all that work into something coherent... I mean, it's really hard to do that basically and to constantly change it up because you have access to everything and there's so much good music. And I think a really good DJ, if you're just talking strictly dance party stuff, I mean, there's nothing like it. I think it's one of the Mm -hmm. the most incredible art forms and it's not something I'm very good at because I don't have time to look around for all the different new songs and I like to do it sometimes. And then, yeah, as a producer, you're looking at your library and you have, I mean, how many songs do producers have? I mean, I have, you know, a few hundred or whatever they can actually choose from. And so my options are really limited. And so that can, that limitation is actually what is your sound though. So that needs to be embraced. I think the, where it gets kind of, shady, I think, is when you have a producer up there who's producing and then they kind of throw in not even a remix. It sounds just like their music or sometimes you'll have these producers that are imitating their idol, like Tipper or something. And so they sound just like that person. And then they'll actually play some of their songs and kind of sneak it in. That's weird.
0: Yeah, I think that's really weird. I mean, where are the ethics in this stuff? There's no code of conduct. Yeah. And I think that it's not like comics stealing a joke. It's sort of like most of the audience doesn't even know.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where it gets, that's where it's fucked up. And I think that, um, people really need to check in with themselves and and see what they're really doing. I think that people are afraid uh, these producers are afraid that they're going to, um, not be able to play a great set or have play music that everyone's going to like. And so they fall back on. And I've seen pretty major producers do this exact thing and they kind of sneak it in and it's just, yeah. And if they are not doing anything to the song and you're not announcing it and you're not, I, you know, sometimes I'll get a new track from somebody and I'll make an announcement I'm like, this is my new, my friends just made this track and I really want to play it. So here it is. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, in my mind, that seems to be more honoring the artist. But when, yeah, when they're sneaking it in, it's fucked up and people need to stop doing that. Like, just need to stop. It's like,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like if, it would be easier to just DJ and play other people's music. But I mean, it seems like for instance, you, you're making a choice to produce music and then play that in your set. And is that just because that's what you enjoy or you want a particular kind of music that you don't hear or for some other reason, you know, that you want to do that? Or are you doing both?
1: Well, I think, yeah. I I mean, why the why is just that it's just, there's a desire there to just Make, create. To create yeah. and to share yeah. it. And when you do play a set of 100% your own material, it feels so good. Because when I first got started, I actually um, would kind of do exactly what we were talking about. So I'm, I guess I'm guilty of it when I was, you know, maybe like 21 or something. And people would respond to the, the one song that I wasn't mine the most. <laughs> and they come up to me and go, dude, that song, what's it called? And I'm like, fuck, that's the one song I didn't write. And it felt so yeah, right. dirty. And so I made a choice at that point. I only did this a couple of times and I made a choice. I'm like, I'm never going to do that again. I only want to play my own tracks or potentially a remix, like a closey remix or something that's of one of my tracks, that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, and, and it just feels so good to be, just say, this is all my, Good and bad. This is all me. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just you're just kind of like standing there, like pressing buttons, literally. Like you're you're that's what I think. Yeah, that's
0: why I'm confused sometimes. How there's to me, there's such a divide between the two. Yes, (laughs) it really is. It really is. I mean, one's like presenting music you've labored over and created, um, versus one is you're sort of someone's representative. You know, I'll put it together. I'm going to package it, which is 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 an art form, but it's it's not the same. It's not the same.
1: Yeah. And I think that it's like people need to ask themselves, why are they doing it? Why are, why are they performing at all? Is it because they want to get laid or because they want to be cool or is it because the ego? Yeah. Yeah. And, or is it because they love music? And if you don't love music, you're in the wrong business. If you don't truly love the, and if you, if you would do it by yourself, even if no one was watching, you know, that's, that's the difference. And I think a lot of people get into it, um, before Egoic reasons and to be. Yeah.
0: I I was talking to Christian Doss on the podcast and I, we were talking similar thing and he's like, I make music, you know, because I have to, it's like, duh. It's like, I I have to do this or I'll go nuts. I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, I get that. You know, it's, it's not doing it because he's trying to make cash or, (coughs) excuse me, or any of these sorts of reasons. Mm -hmm. So you've been involved in the consciousness festival scene. Since probably the beginning of it, and I'm curious where you see this whole thing going, or where you, how you feel about it. Obviously, I have feelings about it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah. I feel like I've been a part of it, like pretty much from what I consider the beginning. It's been mm -hmm, just such mm -hmm. an amazing journey watching this scene just grow and grow and grow and Mm -hmm. become something that I just never could have imagined and it's as I tour around the country and the world I see it expanding more and more and more everywhere Uh, I mean I was just down in Australia at Rainbow Serpent and I was like this is exactly the same Mm -hmm. thing that we do in the states It's, it's it's same archetypal thing and it's um it's totally incredible to be a part of it. And the people in this scene are just fucking awesome. And so many smart, intelligent people, uh, super creative, spiritually aligned. Um, but yeah, there's a dark side to everything. And I think it comes with um, just the situation of the world that we live in right now is pretty fucked up. And and I think there's a lot of people are lost. And I think the scene helps people find themselves, but I think also can, if you're not careful, can further the lostness. Um, so it's a fun, it's just, it's a part of life. It's not, it's not a utopic vision. I don't think there may be something that comes out of it that helps the world be a better place. Um,
0: but Which ones are you kind of jamming on lately? Which you feel are, are successful. Yeah, successful. You feel that like they're... Well, organized. I mean...
1: You know, there's. I love the symbiosis events, uh, like Eclipse, and also just just the normal symbiosis festivals. Those are probably like as far as like that type of festival, my favorite. Um, Envision's great. I mean, but nothing nothing compares to Burning Man, in my opinion. I mean, I think that's almost not even a festival. It's something completely different. But that that yeah. takes the cake. It's my favorite
0: by far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one's sort of its own beast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this, this year will be my 21st in a row. So I guess I'm a holy old, cow,
1: old school burner.
0: They give you the keys to the city. <laughs>
1: yeah. but I still have yeah. to buy a ticket. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>
0: yeah, that's awesome, man. So let's um, let's talk music a little yeah. bit. Um, I always like to get under the hood a little bit. And when you were making this new record, uh what kind of tools were you using? Tell me a little bit about how you do make your music.
1: So, yeah, I'm in my studio right now. I have, uh, I, my iMac is sort of the, the heart of my system. And, um, I have a, one of my favorite, I got the Manly VeraMu compressor. I'm using an Apollo oh, yeah. 8 as my sound card going into a Dangerous Music D-Box to do analog summing.
0: You know, those D-Boxes, that came out with the new one. And so the originals, now you can get them pretty affordably mm-hmm. on Reverb.com and stuff. And, um... I'm gonna pick one up. I think as a monitor controller and something. You you like it?
1: Uh, I it's it's changed everything. And it was one of those things that I I, I had never heard before. I'd only seen uh, stuff on the internet about it. So I kind of just had to take people's word for it because you can't really hear yeah. the difference uh, on that in that in that like on YouTube. Um. So I was a little nervous when I got it. And what's cool about it is when you take just when you take the digital output of the UAD and go into the uh, DA converter on the D box, the difference is astounding. Like I was blown away. It felt like I could actually turn my speakers down because there was so much more clear. And there's just wow. kind of this uh, clarity just with the D with the, uh, the converter in it. And that's not even using the main features of the instrument, which are analog summing. And the analog summing thing is something that um, I had been doing on a mixer. Uh, our console uh, for a while, but they, it was so hard to recall my settings. Cause if I had moved one fader or just getting the panning, right, everything was just very touchy. But with this, it's all, uh, instantly recallable and super rock solid. And it opens up the music in a way that I was not expecting. And, uh, I, I can never go back. I mean, it's just, that is the icing on the cake and I run everything. I bounce everything down to, um, uh, eight channels and sometimes we'll do summing and like I'll sum my drums first and that kind of thing and then I go through that into the Varamu, uh compressor and then record that and that's my final mix
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that just, <clears throat> to me, that's how every, everything's super buttery and spacious um, so yeah, I highly, highly recommend that to anyone who wants to take uh, their music production to the next level and really have a super professional sound I mean, you, you don't need it, but if you want it, it's worth it.
0: Is, is that also your monitor controller?
1: I have a, a Presonus uh, monitor station that I use um, for my monitors, which I find to be pretty transparent, and it's just what I. have It's just it, it, it's a little bit easier to um, to change. Well, it has. It. I mean, I could. I, I have used the D box in that way, but the way my studio is set up, so I have two rooms. And I have speakers in a different room as well. And it's just easier for me to go back and forth between the different rooms with all the different buttons I find rather than using the D box as my main monitor controller.
0: What do, you, what do you mean you have two rooms, but you're using one monitor controller? Yeah. So I have,
1: um, I have a, the room I'm in now is my main studio room and it's all soundproofed and whatnot. And then there's another room, which is kind of like a more warehousey space where I can set up a drum kit or if I have like a lot of people, it's a live room. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a whole separate um, sound system in there. That's and also um, like a, like a box where I can plug in all my XLRs and stuff and that goes comes back into this room so I can do a whole different right. setup in there. So it just, I just find it easier to manage that. Plus the the PreSonus has four headphones out and just a couple other features that just make it easier for me. Are you, um, I
0: mean, are you worried about leaving all this on, when you're on the road? Or is this, this has been your rhythm for a while, kind of going in and out and this is your home base for that? You mean worried about it like... Uh, I mean, just, you know... Uh, creating we you're just saying on your in the van life you're yeah. going to spend maybe a little more time doing that and um it's just something i face too sometimes because you know i'm using all my critical mixing and finishing of stuff is down currently i do it down at the studio in boulder utah mm-hmm. but i'm not there all the yeah. time. and it's far away it's not exactly a convenient spot so
1: It's, Uh, it's, it's, yes, it is a huge caveat to this lifestyle. And I, I I, kind of hate it in that way (laughs) because I really could spend every day in my studio working on tunes, you know, it's just, but the reality is as a, as a performing artist, you have to get out there and play shows. There's no other way to really make money, you know. You also
0: get better. I mean, for better or worse, it it makes you improve in a lot of Mm -hmm. ways. It forces me to rehearse. It forces me to try things. It forces, you learn a lot by performing too.
1: Yeah, and I think also the excitement builds when you're away from the studio. I, I can get kind of yeah. down and depressed if I spend too much time smoking weed and sitting around my studio, like kind of doing nothing. Yeah. I get kind of like in my head and sort of isolated. Yeah. Uh, when I come back off the road, I'm really inspired. And so I love, I'm like, oh yeah,
0: my drum machines, my, my little toys. <laughs> I but, got um, a piece of gear for you to check out. Have you ever checked out the um, Burl B2 Bomber? No. You might, that might be, even next level for as your, um, what is main, it? Uh, the it's burl, B U R L, um, the B two. And what does it do? Uh, it's a converter, but okay. it has this magic knob on the left. That's like the input gain in a sense. Mm. And so it's sort of like, you know, the dangerous bus two mm. has like those three knobs that they're sort of adding kind of levels of saturation and stuff like yep. that, like magic sauce. It, it basically does that. Like it's You can do a little bit, which is super clean, or you can just drive it super hard to get sort of like a pretty lights type sound or something. Uh-huh. And it's supposedly, from what people tell me, it's just like, you know, it's just sort of a rarefied thing. It's just in the way that the D-Box was like, ooh, that was a really wonderful boost. You can use this after or before your compressor, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. as your final output. And you could also use it on tracking. You can use it as you're inputting things in, as a converter, yeah.
1: Well, I love I love that kind of stuff. I I would say my F- Swiss Army knife, probably one of my most used pieces of gear, is the a- Electron Analog Heat. I've found that to be oh. one of the most amazing pieces of equipment ever made. You know, it has the it's it's, it's kind of advertised as a, as a d- distortion unit, but it's uh-huh. um it's got the eight it's all analog eight um, different circuits uh, that you can run your music through and drive it in different ways. And for like drums or for any instrument, really, you can turn... uh, What I love about it, too, is you can take a soft synth, take like a serum, put it through this, distort it just a little bit, engage the analog filters in EQ and some of the LFOs, and you have basically a a brand new analog synth that you've never owned before. It really Uh. changes the sound so much, and it's such a warm... Uh, sound and as you move the knob up it gets more the circuits get more and more kind of intensely distorted and i've actually mastered with it um I, I mastered uh the song eulogy off my last album on it as a kind of like what you just said just to saturate the whole song really yeah i hmm. saturated What's my it vocals. Called? it's called the electron analog heat okay and electron is like probably one of my favorite companies is um as far as the gear they Produce is just so top notch and great form factor. Everything sounds so good, and there's also the way that they've um, integrated the uh, new. It's called Overbridge. It's the kind of it basically turns everything into a VST instrument, but you ha- but but it's it's uh, so it operates as a plugin inside of Ableton or whatever a soft uh, doll you're using, and. So it's very user-friendly in that way and um, also responds to... A lot of their stuff responds to CV or generates CV, so there's a lot of uh, interesting things you can do when you're... If, you, if you're into modular stuff. Um, I have their analog heat, which I said is my probably my favorite piece of gear, and then I have the Digitact drum machine, which I also really love, and the uh, Electron Analog 4. So those three Electron gear, I mean... You could do anything with those. Um,
0: and you're using Ableton mostly as your DAW?
1: Yes. Uh, for, uh, you know, I used Logic for a long time, but I've, yeah, at this point, 100% Ableton, except for you know, the occasional ex- experimental stuff with other pieces.
0: And um, what's your situation as far as favorite hy- <coughs> plugins uh, versus this analog gear that you're using? Um. Yeah, that's that's a I I feel like
1: I, I have like kind of a plug-in addiction where I'll get into one plug-in for a while and it's just I'm like sure oh, yes. I'm sure your, comp- yeah, your computer yeah. loves that yeah, uh, exactly. up. And and then I'll move on to something else. And so I'm really I'm I'm really into the kind of like I've discovered the um what's a fun, the adaptive verb is a cool uh the synaptic adaptive verb is a really super sick reverb unit that actually gives you the ability to control the intonation of the... It resynthesizes it before it goes into the reverb, and then you can control the kind of intonation of the reverb as it moves through the music. So it creates a a really interesting way to create very big, lush layers without conflicting as you change chords, I guess, uh, would be the best way to describe it. It's like a dynamic
0: reverb, kind of.
1: Yeah, it's a resynthesized... a A reverb resynthesis, which I think is... Kind of the future of, of, of reverb. Cause reverb is one of the most awesome effects ever, but it, it has its limitations. And it's, I like, I like being able to, uh, go even deeper with it. I have this other synaptic plugin called Morph, which is really fun. It's, it's sort of like a, a vocoder, but a much more advanced vocoder. A lot of times it's used in movies to, uh, create voices for like Marvel characters and that kind of thing, where if they wanted to have like Rockman. And so they would take the sound of rocks and, and mix it with, a voice and so then the voice sounds like it's made of rocks and so that's a very common use of it that kind of thing or birds or anything but you can obviously morph um your voice or different pieces of music and change completely change uh the the character of whatever instrument you're playing so that's a, that's a super fun one i've definitely had fun experimenting with that one um wow. and the new of course like the new ableton 10 is just so crazy there's so many built-in effects that are just with the Max stuff, blowing my mind. I'm, I feel like I'm always finding one new Max plugin that I didn't know existed, and love all that stuff. Um, that's what, one of the reasons I think Ableton is so great because it's pretty much all you need. You don't need all these other plugins if, if you're gonna if you're just getting started.
0: Are you using Max and Ableton to work with your lighting, or is your your girlfriend kind of doing it live?
1: So. Um, <laughs> She helps set it up, but I'm controlling everything. And I'm using, it's called DMXs. And it's basically a USB to DMX converter box that runs as a VST inside of Ableton. And it you operate it just like you would a soft synth. So you assign your knobs to different MIDI uh, control messages. And so the way I use it is I build um, a ser- all these different MIDI clips. And each MIDI clip controls... One light. Um, I'm not using RGB, but you could certainly set it up like that, where you have you know red on one channel and all the other different colors on different channels. And so you build an array of MIDI clips, and then I just press a button, and it launches in time with the music. And it's a great way to have a super simple but extremely complex and synchronized lighting uh, show. So. It's been kind of, it's super dependable and works really well. Very easy to set up. And I can also make lighting patches on the fly or you can assign, like, let's say you have a cutoff knob on your synth and you want it, every time you turn it, you want the red light to come on and you can do that. You can do, uh, there's just a million ways you can use it that are even more in-depth than I it's, use it. It's pretty stable. It's very stable. I've never had one. in the only trouble I've ever had with it is if the USB you know, actual physical stuff like the cable or something like that.
0: But How much far, stuff are you traveling yeah. with for your shows? Quite a bit,
1: <laughs> but it's mostly light, light stuff, honestly. Um, my old the, setup that, was... That's why you yeah. drive,
0: I guess, more? Yeah. Do you have to plan out like, all right, I'm going to do the East Coast, this chunk? Cause yes. Because otherwise you have to bounce in and out too many times.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do a lot of flying gigs too, and that's much... More simple. When I fly, I just bring my guitar, my laptop, a couple of effects, a synth, that kind of thing. When yeah. I do for the, my other shows, yeah, I have like uh, my own tables and all my lights, and I have like twenty some lights, and the, they're giant Edison bulbs, so they're they're quite. Um, they take up a lot of space. So um, yeah, I definitely fill up my van with gear, and I like to uh, you know if I am going to go on the road, I just want to bring as much stuff as I can. I mean, as long as it's realistic right. to set it up in an hour or so. Yeah. Then I'm going to do it because it's more fun. So yeah. it's like, I don't want to be lazy, you know, on the road, especially.
0: Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, before we wrap up, um, I wanted to just ask you a little bit more about process and, and like, you know, sometimes it's, I mean, I could geek out on, on gear all, all day.
1: And yeah. uh, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's a really interesting
0: for me. <laughs> that was a nice deep dive. Um, but for you, what, what is the creative process like? And what are some of the pitfalls you've found that you've, you know, work around? Like for me, for instance, uh, I know it's, it's a game of repetition. I like to work in the, you know, sort of like the late morning and stuff. Otherwise it's sort of a monkey on my back. And I, I'm sort of like building little bricks as opposed to uh, big stints or inspiration moments like that. Uh, what's it like for you?
1: Well, I'm more of a, more of a night owl. Honestly, I, I have, I feel like I have my creative windows, which are early in the morning or late at night and middle of the day is hard for me. Cause I feel like there's too many distractions with emails and stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, podcast and just,
1: and just know, <laughs> yeah. And just knowing that the world is awake out there, you know, operating and I'm in my studio by myself, just being weird. Um, I find that a lot of the time I, I David Lynch had a really awesome his uh, I'm trying to remember the name of his book that he wrote but it was on transcendental meditation and I don't I'm not yeah. really I don't do a lot of transcendental medit- meditation but there were some good lessons in that book nonetheless and one of his things is like it's like when you when you start the creative process you're you first you just have to catch a small fish and it may not be all that inspiring but as you you put that fish on a lure, you throw it back in the water, you catch a bigger fish and a bigger fish until eventually you catch the big fish. And I think that being the, one of the lessons I've learned doing this is that it's not about waiting for me to feel creative because I don't often feel creative. I'll come in, I'll be like, ah, you know, I'm just here, but I just force myself to get started on something and to allow myself to just continue to work whether or not I'm inspired. And then eventually you just stumble across a sound or something or a beat or whatever it is. And you're like, man, that's fucking cool. I think I'm going to work on that. And a lot of times when I get to that point, I will not work. Once I find that sort of thing I can sink my teeth into, I'll maybe take a break, go get some dinner, make sure that I have several hours that I can really dive into it instead of just dinking or dinking around and making it worse. And then um, I'll come back and just charge through and, and try and do as much as I can in one session uh, where the song is nearly complete. And then after that is where I do all the more technical stuff where it can t- take weeks or months. But to, yeah. I think to take that opportunity to really seize on that, first drop of inspiration to do as much as you can with it in that moment is for me is the method that I use uh, to, to continue to be productive. And I think also really work on the art of finishing and trying to treat that as a craft. So that helps you be prolific because if you don't finish things, then you just kind of have this, Library of, of 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 stuff that doesn't have any. it's just it's just fill, noise basically. And even if you're like, don't think that the song is done. Rather than just moving on to the next thing, finish it. And whether or not it's the final version, it, it doesn't matter. I think it's just good to really try to finish things if it's worth it. If it's if it's if it's good enough, you know. Not if it's if it's total shit, but. Um. And then oftentimes they'll come back a month later and listen to that thing that you thought wasn't that great. you're like, actually, that was fucking awesome. I should really work on that again. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's been kind of my philosophy is to, to be prolific and to just just continue to work uh, and, and do it, do it just always, always create time and space to actually work.
0: Yeah, there was an author, I don't know who it was, who someone asked him how he finds inspiration. And he says, I find it at 10 o'clock when I sit down to write. It's like, mm-hmm. you, just, you just start and, and it, you let it form. And some days it forms stronger than others, but your job is just to sit down and, and do the work.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, it, that's so true. And, and the thing about what's great about music is that that is what the inspiration is. And without creating it, you're, you're never going to know. So if nothing happens, you know, you may have a dream of a song, but really until you hear it, that's when you, if it sounds interesting and you want to continue to work on it, that's your, that should be your, your, your first yeah. uh, point of inspiration.
0: So, and where do you, where do you kind of see this going? Have you had any insights being out on the road and being in the music industry? Uh, it is such a dynamic thing with streaming and AI. Uh, where do you personally predict the short-term and long-term Outlook for music as something in our lives, and as a profession. Well,
1: sure. well there, I think there's two sides to that coin. I think as a profession, I, yet to be seen. I don't really under understand. Oh,
0: that sounds like something
1: fell over. <laughs> that was really strange. <laughs> One of my instruments just decided to jump off its stand. It's a message. It's a message. <laughs> That's the future of music. So bizarre. Um, so the. Um, Okay, where was it? Oh yeah. So as far as the music business goes, it's it, it, we're in some big, serious, growing pains right now. I can attest to that. That like the only way to really make a living doing this for ninety percent of. Music, music artist is to perform constantly. Um, I make a little bit money on Spotify and all that kind of stuff, but it's just, it's, it's not like what it used to be where you would perform shows to promote your album and that's where you made all your money. Now it's the complete opposite. So it can be a little bit daunting to imagine myself doing this in 15, 20 years. I, I don't I mean, I don't even know if I'll be able to do that. So I'm hoping that some geniuses out there figure out a way to bring this huge music industry right now where there's so much amazing music back, bring the money back to the artists. And um, I feel like people are getting really ripped off by these large companies that aren't paying artists fairly And haven't, and I think it's also, you know, it's not completely their fault because I just don't think that people have figured out what the best system is. So, yet to be seen. I hope that things uh, come around in that way for people, artists of the future. I do, however, think that the music itself, the direction of music, we have just scratched the surface of what's going to be possible with AI and this computer technology. Just. To see the way that music has changed the accessibility to music in the last 10, 15, 20 years because of computers. And as AI takes hold, we're going to be creating music that I think is going to be much more connected to our the chemistry of our brains mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <clears throat> using AI to um, create customized music for yourself or for others that really taps into a deeper level. So I have great hope that That, you know, in 50 years, I don't even think we would recognize the music that it's going to come out of this time uh, as things develop, but it's going to be incredibly beautiful.
0: I do think, yeah, I've thought the same thing about a customized AI. Like you'll have your own AI artist in a sense, or you'll be fans of Mm -hmm. AIs, but it'll be for you. Like your Mm -hmm. entire library would just be unique to you and it could be written in one second. You know, it could Mm -hmm. change every day and it's based on perhaps your physiobiology in the moment exactly yeah that, yeah, that definitely will happen then.
1: yeah it's i mean yeah. it's already, you know getting taste of it now like just the ai that we're already using and i, I use ai yeah. for some of my mixes and stuff just to kind of get a sense of what ai says i should do and it's pretty powerful stuff you know i i have to admit that there we're, we're just getting started with it but i think that um the one thing that's missing from AI is self-deprecation. And I think that once AI Mm -hmm. learns how to be depressed and and be creative in that way, then I think it'll be be
0: awesome. (laughs) The tortured AI (laughs) artist. Yes, because it wants to be human. Yeah, um, I think live shows like that human element of seeing something live will probably become more valuable actually because Mm -hmm. it'll be unique. Mm-hmm. And that in itself will be people as they are now will be more and more hungry for the human connection. Um,
1: I, I I agree. There will always be there will always be space for that. And I think that too there'll be. I don't think AI is going to be in charge of the music. I think that AI is just going to be another tool that will people yeah. art, the real artists will be able to use effectively.
0: Yeah, I was doing this project. It actually starts next week, I think. But it's Google's creating a neuroaesthetics to sort of um design project where they're exploring how design influences your biology. And hmm. so that includes music and the design itself, everything that is the space. And so you go into these different spaces and they give you this wearable tech that's just getting data about your your body's uh, response, your emotional response, your heart rate, things like that and then afterwards you can see which one your body's responding to and i think it's sort of an early sign or an early mm. stage of this like biofeedback and this that's what the whole idea of neuroaesthetics is is like how 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 your neurology is is working with aesthetics and so the same thing can be true with music so mm, it's, it's happening simultaneously,
1: <laughs> awesome and creepy. But
0: <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens with it. Cool. Well, let's end this. Just I was curious, okay. uh, what music you're jamming on, or what kind of artists you like? Um, what do you like to just actually listen to, <laughs> as opposed to the well, ones that make us sound like cool? music? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm always hungry for uh, new, new stuff, and I just found this amazing album by um i'm gonna you know i wish i could remember the the least the lead singer's name i believe he just died is how i learned about this but it's um talk talk the band for and they have an album from 1988 called spirit of eden Mm -hmm. and i had actually i heard about it from um on a different uh podcast and they were just talking about the album and i went and checked it out on my drive back uh, from New York. And it just blew my mind. It was, I can't believe I had never heard of this album. And it it's interesting as it it's from the 80s and there's definitely, especially in the vocals, there's like, oh yeah, this is 80s, but it's nothing like anything I've ever heard from the 80s. It's a much more psychedelic. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard this album, Spirit of Eden, but that has been on have rotation. It sounds familiar. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like
0: someone mentioned this to me, but I basically yeah. have not gone deep. So I'd like I to. think it's,
1: it's, it's worth, it's worth going deep and, um, there's really nothing like it. I'd be interested to hear your take on it, uh, if, if you check cool. it out sometime. And, oh, uh, yeah, so that's what I'm listening to. And, um, but yeah, right now I'm just getting ready for my red, my first Red Rock show. So I'm, I'm going to stop listening ah, to other people's music and prepare. Congrats.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks. Wonderful. Yeah. When is that? Well, yeah. Speaking of what, what do you got coming up that you want to mention? What are you excited about and where can people find you?
1: Yeah, so that's that's my main thing I'm getting pretty pumped for. May 11th at Red Rocks, my first Red Rocks show, playing there with uh, Papadozio and Polish Ambassador. And I'm also debuting uh, the first iteration of my live band called the Penumbra. So it's um, I've got Ilya from Emancipator, as well as Colby, the drummer, and... Um, This guy Glenn on pedal steel guitar, and a couple other guest artists, including David Peter Mellish and some dancers. That's a big show, man! Nice. Yeah, so we're going all in. We're gonna try and uh, do something we've never done before. So I'm super pumped about that, and um, of course, we're gonna film the whole thing and hopefully make it something that other people can enjoy for a long time if things don't fall apart. And beyond that, uh, a bunch of festivals, you know, Electric Forest and uh, Elements Festival. There's a few, other, you know, a bunch of other festivals, and and I have some big announcements for the fall coming up soon. And of course, you know, people can go on my website and find out where I'm playing if they want to find out more about that. But um, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff coming up in the future. So and they can find
0: exciting. you at randomrab.tv or <laughs> what is <are the>, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. randomrab.com <laughs> i account. should i haven't bought tv so please okay. don't anyone else poach that um, <laughs> um, yeah so yeah just google
0: it dig it well i'll put it in the show notes to your awesome. site i appreciate you. your time and uh, we'll catch up again another time
1: awesome thanks so much for having me on the show
0: thanks bud okay thanks randomrab that was fun it's really fun to get to get to know him and i hope you enjoyed that conversation I'll see you on the road, hitting the road, going to the northeast. See you in Pennsylvania, or New Jersey, or New York City, or Massachusetts, or Upstate New York, or Chicago. So Eastforest.org is where you can see all those dates and everything else good coming up. Happy birthday to Ramdas, our eighty-eight-year-old master elder out there. Keep sharing your stories about that. Uh, this this song that you were hearing in the background is called "Lives to Live," and it's random raps from his new album so you can check out his new album i'm sure anywhere you listen to music and i'll put a a link in the show notes to his website which has all the links to his socials and all that kind of good jazz thanks for giving this podcast a review thanks for being a good person thanks for putting good vibrations out there thank you for sitting today maybe for five minutes and just breathing i have a feeling intuitively it will help somehow some way, somebody May the forest be with you. You keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit. But if you do, you got to do it with grace, folks. Do it with grace.